All right, if you have a Bible, go ahead and get it out. Turn to Romans chapter 8. It's often called one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. If you're um, new to this study, it's pretty simple. Uh, We are studying uh, the middle of the book of Romans, 6, 7, and 8, and asking the question, what might uh, Paul and his teaching of the gospel how might that practically change the way that we live as Christian men? And we have spent the last several weeks really addressing misunderstandings about the gospel. Whether it's a misunderstanding about how we think about grace, or a misunderstanding of how we might think about the law, all of this has culminated and led us to this moment in Paul's letter. With not just one of the greatest chapters, but one of the most famous and greatest verses in all of the Bible. And so I'm going to begin by reading these 17 verses, beginning with that particular verse, Romans 8, verse 1. I've got to turn there myself. One second. Okay, Romans 8, verse 1. Paul writes this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it cannot submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness." If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him." Now, this morning we have obviously a lot of ground to cover, and it's going to be quite a challenge to do these verses justice. And so my goal this morning 
is to give you a bit of an overview of what Paul is trying to communicate by way of focusing on one aspect. And so what I'm going to give to you this morning is really just one aspect of the gospel and one aspect, honestly, of what Paul is trying to communicate, all that he's trying to communicate in Romans 8. And this is what it is. This morning we're going to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit in the gospel of Jesus Christ. John Owen, in his writing on the Holy Spirit, said this, When God planned the great work of saving sinners, He provided two gifts. He gave us His Son, and He gave us His Spirit. Now, what is John Owen saying? I think what John Owen is trying to tell us is that the Holy Spirit is just as integral in the gospel as Jesus Christ himself is. And this morning, my question to you is, do you believe that? Or as I'm saying that to you, do you think, man, Paul's kind of gone off his rocker. Like, that almost seems wrong to me. Isn't the gospel all about Jesus? Isn't that what he does? The Father has his thing, and Jesus' thing is the gospel, and then the Holy Spirit, I'm not really sure what he does, but I'm not sure I want any part of that kind of mysticism and... But what John Owen is trying to help us understand this morning is that to really understand practically how the gospel works, we must begin to understand who the Holy Spirit is and what He does. And there really are two great errors in Christendom today. One elevates the person of the Holy Spirit above the other two. That today the Holy Spirit is more at work than the Father and the Son, and so because of that, the Holy Spirit is like this mystical force who operates apart from the Father, who operates apart from the Son, who's moving around inciting people to say prophetic things and to do things that are kind of make us uncomfortable. But the opposite is also just as dangerous, that we would diminish the Holy Spirit. That really, conceptually, practically, the way we think about God is really just God the Father and God the Son, and the Holy Spirit is, well, this kind of little nobody. And my hope this morning is to show you that what you believe actually matters. When I was in college, there was this saying that was going around among many of the Christians that theology doesn't matter. That it's really just how you act, what you do, are you uh, being the right kind of Christian that you're supposed to be, that really theology does not matter. And one of my professors in seminary said it this way, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson, he said, Not only does theology matter, everybody has theology. The question is, what kind of theologian are you? An atheist has a theology. In a minute, I'm going to talk a little bit about my time in the Atheist Agnostic Society at Texas A&M. But what do you think we talked about every single meeting? Talked about God. I thought you guys didn't believe in Him. What are we doing talking about this? An atheist has a theology. You too... Even though you don't might think of yourself as a theologian, you really are. You have put together in your heart and mind beliefs about God. The question is, how informed are those beliefs? What you believe actually matters practically, and particularly about the Holy Spirit. John Owen went on to say this, If the Holy Spirit does not work with the gospel, then the gospel becomes a dead letter 
and the New Testament becomes as useless to Christians as the Old Testament is to the Jews. We're going to talk about that this morning. Why is the Old Testament useless to the Jews? talked about this a couple weeks ago. Because we, are, we cannot be saved by the law. It's impossible. We're going to talk about that this morning. We cannot be saved by the law. And his point is, the Holy Spirit does not work with the gospel, then the New Testament is just as dead as the Old Testament is. He says, consequently, we must realize that all spiritual good arising from salvation is revealed and given to us by the Holy Spirit. Without Him, we can do nothing. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? See, the Holy Spirit's role is very clear. He's not some mystical force, and neither He's to be diminished, but His role is clear. His role is this. He gives to us all that Jesus Christ accomplished in His death and resurrection. That's what He does. He works everything that Jesus Christ accomplished when He died and when He rose again 2,000 years ago. Maybe another way to think about it is this. How does the gospel work, really? Practically, how is it that a a man who was God and man, who died and rose again 2,000 years ago, how does that have any bearing on your life today in 2014? The answer is the work of the Holy Spirit. All right, so Paul's going to show us three things about the Holy Spirit and his work and how he works powerfully in the gospel. How Trinitarian are you? I know you think you are, or supposed to be, but really, how Trinitarian are you? Do you believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because the Trinity is at work in the gospel, not just Jesus. The Father in His wisdom planned it. The Son in His humility carried it out. And now the Holy Spirit in His power works it into us. It gives us all that Jesus did for us on the cross. So, three things that the Holy Spirit gives us in the gospel. First, the Holy Spirit gives us forgiveness. If you want to think about it in these terms, that's our justification. The Holy Spirit gives us forgiveness. Second, the Holy Spirit gives us life. He gives us life. That is our sanctification. And third, the Holy Spirit gives us sonship. He makes us sons. And that ultimately is our glorification. Forgiveness, life, sonship, justification, sanctification, glorification, This morning we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit in the everyday life of a Christian. And so let's look at it together, Romans 8, verse 1, for the next several minutes. So the first thing we've got to notice is one of Paul's most famous verses. And it's famous for a reason. I'm going to read it again, Romans 8, verse 1. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore means that Everything that Paul has been writing over the last two chapters, and I would also add to the the chapters that we have not gotten to study, all the first seven chapters of Romans have all led to this moment. There is, therefore, therefore, you are a sinner, you have fallen short of the glory of God, therefore. 
Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No. Therefore. Is the law no longer at work? Is it nullified? No. Therefore. All of this has led to this moment. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This morning, though, I'm not going to begin with the condemnation part. We're going to end there under this point. I want to begin with the last three words. Because they're incredibly important. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul uses this phrase, in Christ, or in Christ Jesus, over 160 times in his writings. For Paul, it's synonymous with being a follower of Jesus, being a Christian. In fact, in those days, people weren't called Christians. The first Christians were called that, really, uh, by non-Christians. Paul described it as being in Christ. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? You are in Christ. What does it mean to be saved by Him? You are in Christ. What's significant about this is he's talking more about an identity than he is a worldview, a system of doctrine, or a set of moral rules. He's talking about something much deeper Sure, it might include those things, but it's deeper. It's an identity change. You are now identified as someone who is in Christ Jesus. In other words, that Christ has so much consumed you that you are no longer recognized for who you were. You are now recognized for who Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And so this is amazing, and it's staggering, and honestly, it challenges the way we live. Uh, I mentioned before, when I uh, was in college, I'd been a Christian for just a couple of years, and I was invited by a friend of mine uh, to go to the Atheist Agnostic Society of Texas A&M. And it was almost like a religious self-help group. Uh, So we all sat in a circle, and each person would say, hi, my name is, and this is what I believe, right? So uh, my name is Bill, and I'm an atheist. Hi. Hi. Uh, My name is Stephen. I'm agnostic. Hi. uh, My name is Zach, and I'm a panantheist. Yes, we had one of those. Uh, Hi. I mean, it would just go around the circle. And of course, I was bracing for every single time it got to me, because I was the only one who would say, hi, my name is Paul, and I'm a Christian. Not just do I believe in God, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And I was bracing because I knew that they did not like Christians very much. And the format of this was that each week, a a different person in the group would pick a topic. And as I mentioned before, it was amazing to me how often that topic actually was God. For a bunch of people who didn't believe in Him, or believed in the monotheistic conception of God, They sure talked about him a lot. Finally, when it got to me, I said, well, next week, here's what I want to talk about. Why don't you like Christians? They loved it. So the next week, we got together, and that's what we talked about. Why don't you like Christians? And over and over again, their understanding of a Christian was pretty clear. 
somebody who thinks they believe in something but doesn't practically live the way they believe that, and somebody who claims to do all the right things but doesn't actually do them. Belief, morality. I think so often we are the ones who actually give into that caricature as Christians. That we somehow play right into that. That we think being a Christian is about belief and morality. And I hope you realize, now that you've heard me teach a little bit, that I'm not saying it's not those things. But that's not the sum total of it. And what Paul here is saying this morning is, it's not about a a worldview. It's not about a, a set of morals. It's much, much deeper. It's about a completely new identity, those who are in Christ Jesus, those who have this new identity, what has been given to you, there is now no more condemnation. That's amazing. With all that we've talked about, especially a couple weeks ago, talking about what the law does, how it's like an x-ray machine, it's like a mirror that reveals just how sinful we really are. And now to hear Paul say... Hey, God sees all of that. He sees your mess. He sees your trash. He sees your junk. And there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the question is, well, how? How is there no more condemnation? How does that work? How does it work? The second verse tells us, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of of sin and death. You see, the thing about a set of beliefs is that anybody can change their mind about what they might believe up here. Anyone can change their worldview. The thing about morality is anyone can fool themselves for long enough to think that they're a good moral person. But it takes something outside of you to change you from the inside out. You cannot do that. The only one who can is the Holy Spirit. The powerful work of the Holy Spirit inside your heart to change you in such a way that you might be able to receive all that Christ has given to you in His Gospel. So how is it that we are not condemned? He says it this way, verse 3, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Why could the law not do it? A couple weeks ago, we talked about that. Uh, My Sunday school class, New City, we said it this way just this past Sunday. How many of you have ever broken a law before? Good, you're like my class. I didn't have to push it very hard. Yeah, we we all have probably, I'm guessing, uh, the least of which probably speeding at some point. Now, what happens if you get pulled over speeding and... That uh, cop comes to your window, and you say, Officer, I'm so sorry for what I did. I know I was going 55 and a 30, and that's not real good. And, um, but I promise from now on, I'm going to follow the speed limit. What's he going to do? Yeah, he's going to give you a ticket anyways. Why? Because he still broke the law. You see, no amount of law-keeping in your future, which you're supposed to keep anyways, is going to make up for the fact that you already broke the law. Does that make sense? So it doesn't matter that for the rest of your life, you never speed ever again. 
Because you're supposed to do that anyways. The reality is, is you still sped. And you still need to pay the fine. What we're going to see here is that the law of God is much more deep and the punishment is much more steep than just paying a fine, right? Uh, Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. It's death. By virtue of you breaking what God has commanded to you, to, to, for you to do, you are now his enemy. You are a rebel. You are a traitor. And the wages of that kind of treason is death. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh cannot do. Why? The law cannot make up for the laws that you've broken. It can't. Somebody still needs to pay. And so one of the questions that I want you to talk about your table this morning is, how is it that you conceptualize forgiveness? Many people understand that the gospel gives us forgiveness. But what kind of forgiveness do you believe in? And one way to think about it is this. How, do, do you live as a forgiven man? Do you live as a forgiven man? And what kind of forgiveness do you live out of? I think what makes grace and forgiveness sometimes so difficult is because the conception that we have of forgiveness is cheap, honestly. In, in some ways, as, as Bonhoeffer described, it's cheap grace. Cheap forgiveness. That we really think of forgiveness in kind of the way that we treat it. So if somebody wrongs you, you say, you know what, don't worry about it. Just, just forget about it. Somebody does something wrong to you, and what you do is you try to push that thing as far from your mind as you can. Let's just forget about it. Let's forget about the whole thing. Don't worry about it. But when you do that, you're actually cheapening what actually happened. You're cheapening the sin. You're cheapening whatever the wrong that was done to you. You're saying it, it doesn't matter. That's not what God does in forgiveness. Your sin does matter. My sin does matter. The law does matter. Hopefully we've seen that now. It matters a whole lot. And so forgiveness is not God saying, you know what, don't worry about it. Oh yeah, that law that I I put in the Old Testament, it's the New Testament now. So I mean, you know, no big deal. Didn't apply. I forgot about it. No, he remembers his law. He knows your sin. It is a big deal. And for that reason, forgiveness for God is incredibly costly. It's not cheap. Somebody has to pay. How is it that you now are no longer condemned if you are in Christ Jesus? Because Christ Jesus was condemned in your place. Somebody had to pay. Somebody had to be condemned. And the wonder of the gospel is that You have not paid your own debt. Christ paid it for you. Jesus paid it all. He was condemned in your place. This is what it says. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Whose flesh? The flesh of Jesus Christ. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might what? Not be nullified might be fulfilled in us. 
The law was fulfilled by Jesus in the way that he lived, but the law was also fulfilled by Jesus in the way that he died. Somebody had to pay the penalty of sin, the wages of which are death. Jesus Christ died in your place. That is costly forgiveness. Do you live as a man who has been forgiven? Costly. Costly. So, how does all this actually find its way to our hearts this morning? That's what the Holy Spirit does. Let me read verse 2 again to you. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. There's that phrase again. The Holy Spirit has now set you free in Christ. He has applied Christ's death in your place to your life, and He is now working it into you. Titus says it this way, Titus 3, 4, uh, the book of Titus says this, uh, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What I love about this uh, small passage is how Trinitarian it is. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all three of whom are at work in your salvation. The Holy Spirit, it says... He has been poured out on you for the washing of regeneration. How is it that a dead person is able to believe? Only by the power of the Holy Spirit regenerating your heart, causing it to beat again. How is it that a mind that has been corrupted by the folly of sin is able to comprehend the things of God only by the powerful illumination of of the Holy Spirit. You cannot believe the gospel of Jesus Christ without the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't be justified without the work of the Holy Spirit working Christ's death in your place, in your heart. The Holy Spirit gives us our justification. The Holy Spirit gives us forgiveness. Second, the Holy Spirit gives us life. Look at verse 9, Romans 8, 9. He says this, he says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. So he's talking to Christians. So he's saying, hey, how do you think of yourself? Remember, you're not in the flesh anymore. That's not who you are as a Christian. No, you are now in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And notice what he says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. I mean, again, the Trinity is at work. If you do not have the Holy Spirit of Christ, then you do not belong to Christ. The two go together along with the work of the Father. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. All right, so if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Holy Spirit gives us life. Or in a word, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. One of the 
great beauties of what we believe as Presbyterians is that God is sovereign not only in our justification, but He's also sovereignly working in our sanctification as well. Through the powerful working of the Holy Spirit, He didn't just save us, justify us, and say, okay, now you're on your own. But He justified us, and now He is powerfully working in our sanctification. He is working life into us. Well, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, the life that you have is completely new. Completely new. And one way to think about it is is that old phrase, you've been born again. That actually comes from a place. If you want to turn there, this is John 3, or you can just listen. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher. You've come from God, for no one else can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He goes on and says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is everyone who is born of the Spirit. How is it that you can actually have such a transformed life now as a Christian that people do not recognize who you used to be anymore. They only recognize you in Christ. How did that actually happen? By being born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. So practically, what's this look like? I wonder how many of you can remember the way you were before you came to faith in Jesus Christ. Before you were a Christian. Now some of you, you're covenant children, right? You were baptized as infants and you have... Honestly, what I believe, sometimes we think we need to have these really just kind of dirty testimonies, right? I mean, they need to be just messed up in order to really show, you know. Except, what do we all pray for as dads? That our kids would not have those? (laughs) That they would never know a day, right, where they did not? Some of you have that, and it's awesome. I hope that my children, my daughters, say that one day. That I just, I don't remember I don't remember not really knowing him. But some of you remember what it was like before Christ. And I wonder for you, are you different? I want you to be honest about that. Don't just be hard or give the right Christian answer. What you think, but have you changed? And the answer is, if you know Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit's at work in you. The answer is yes. You have. For those of you who it's been more gradual, who can't remember a day when you didn't know Jesus and He didn't know you, you can still look at this over the course of your life. Change. Transformation. Growth in grace. Not perfection, but change. One of my buddies, when he was in seminary, um, he went to a different school and uh, he loved the guys with the harder testimonies, um, and had a group of guys, all of which had become uh, Christians late in life, uh, and they had just the craziest stories, and one of them in particular uh, was uh, really a sex addict, and that's what he was. And so he did everything that a, a, somebody addicted to sex would do uh, if he had no moral compass whatsoever. I mean, just slept with 
woman after woman after woman. And we're talking hundreds, hundreds a year. Sometimes he didn't even know their name. And after he became a Christian that first year, he slept with three. Now, if you just met him, and he told you that, he said, I'm a Christian, but I met, slept with three women, you'd say, well, that's wrong. You might look at him and be like, that's terrible. But then if you compare that to what he just left, you might say, wow, that's actually kind of a big deal. Now, that's a very graphic, a very harsh way of describing, I think, what the reality of life this side of heaven for the Christian looks like. That the Holy Spirit is powerful, so powerful that your life is going to look dramatically different if you are in Christ Jesus. Your life is going to look dramatically different. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. But this morning even, whether you consider yourself a Christian this morning or not, the fact that you are here tells me that the Holy Spirit, who is powerful, might be working in your life. Another way to think about it is how Paul talks about it in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The work of the Holy Spirit is to crucify all that was in you before Christ, to put it to death, and to replace that flesh with fruit of the Spirit. That's what he does. Which leads us to our final thing. Where is this all headed? The Holy Spirit gives us sonship. And this is where we're going to end this morning. And this is so important for us, especially as men, as we think about our identity and who we've been called to be. Uh, you can think about this as our glorification. We've talked a lot about how this side of heaven, we're not going to be perfect. The reality is our identity is such in Christ that one day you will be. Isn't that amazing? That one day there will be no more sickness and there will be no more sin. You will be glorified. And this is what he says, Romans 8, verse 12. He says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not according to the flesh, to live according to the Spirit. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So in other words, you you owe a debt, not to the law, not to the flesh, but Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Again, do you live as a forgiven man whose forgiveness was costly. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The Holy Spirit gives us sonship. If you are led by the Spirit of God, you are a son of God. Is that your number one identity in this life? If not, how is it that you identify yourself? I really want you to be honest about that this morning at your tables. Mark asked that same question this past Sunday. How is it that you want to be known? Who are you? Do you see yourself first and foremost as a son of God? Because that is what the Holy Spirit has given to you. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we call Abba Father. How do you know whether or not you see yourself as a son of God? Are you fearful? Are you fearful? Are you anxious this morning? 
as a man, what are you afraid of? What are you trying to control and put on your back? What is so ingrained in your identity that you are now a slave to it? And honestly, if that thing was taken away, you would be incredibly afraid. We have not begun a spirit of slavery, spirit of fear. We've been set free. We've been set free by the Spirit. We've been adopted as sons. Finally, this leads to verse 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with the Spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, providing we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Next week, we're going to talk about suffering. What role does suffering have to do in the life of a believer? But before we get to that, I want you to understand something about your glorification, where we're headed. The wonderful thing about being a son of God is that you are now heirs. Heirs according to the promise. All that has been promised to Abraham is now given to you. That's the message of Galatians. And Jesus Christ himself said it this way. When he promised the giving of the Holy Spirit, he said this bold statement that it is better for me to go away so that the Holy Spirit can come to me, come to you. And he says this, he says, He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I can't think of a better definition of what the Holy Spirit does. And of course, Jesus is the one who gives it to us. The Holy Spirit will take What is mine, Jesus says, and give it to you. All that is Christ's is yours. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has made you sons, heirs, co-heirs with Christ. He is our brother. He's our brother. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are heirs according to the promise. So I'm going to leave you with this. 1 Peter 1, verse 3, and then send you to their tables. Peter begins his first letter this way. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. There's our word, our phrase, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. If you remember, uh, a few sessions ago we talked about the resurrection. Why the resurrection matters. Resurrection matters because the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now dwells in you. In other words, the very God of the universe who spoke everything into existence, who made the sun, the moon, the stars, the wind, the seas, who raised Jesus from the dead now has taken up residence in your heart. So as you face sin, as you face temptation, whose power are you trying to fight with? Is it your own? Or do you recognize that there is a power so much more powerful than anything you could ever imagine that now as a Christian dwells in you by the power of the Holy Spirit? Let me send you with that thought to your tables. I want you to talk about What does the Holy Spirit have to do practically with your life as a Christian today? Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your word again, for the way that you teach us and show us things that 
are not just neat facts to memorize, but they really do have such practical implications in our everyday life. I pray that this, um, this reality of who the Holy Spirit is and this great gift that you've given to us now as believers, this side of the cross, still waiting on uh, our ultimate glorification, pray that we would see that the Holy Spirit has given us these things. Truly, He's given us forgiveness. He's given us life. He's given us this great power as sons. And so may we see ourselves in this way, forgiven, alive, and as sons, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.